How are we doing this morning? Good. Y'all ready? <laughs> All right. So I have, honestly, we've been in church now for 20 months, and I have waited for 20 months to talk about this topic finally. And I felt that it was time, really based on a lot of the conversations that I've had with many people um, within the past 20 months. And I think that people just get confused between who Jesus is and what religion is. So I have a big task to accomplish. I want to say this before we dive into this. This whole thing is not meant to be divisive. It's not meant to necessarily be controversial, although it probably will be to some sense. Hopefully in all of this, my prayer for us throughout this series is that God would open our eyes and see and allow us to see who he really is and what he really came to do and what he really came to accomplish. So before we dive into this, let's go ahead and pray. Father God, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you for this opportunity to be able to meet here today, to talk about your word, to talk about you. But God, most importantly, I pray that however we came in here this morning, God, whether we came in here skeptical, whether we came in here with some questions, God, maybe we came in here concerned. God, maybe we came in here for the first time and experienced church in a different way, and God, it has us a little freaked out. God, I pray wherever we're at on the spectrum, God, that you would speak to us regardless of our backgrounds, regardless of our history, regardless of what we walk through. And everybody said, amen. amen and amen. So let's dive right in. When you hear the word religion, what do you think of? I posted a thing on Facebook, um, I think uh, three or four days ago, just asking that question. I honestly thought maybe three or four people would reply to it. And lo and behold, it was about 100 people commenting. I was like, dang, like people really have some opinions about this stuff. Um, and so I think some of the things that I looked at is when you hear it, most people think of, well, it's a man-made thing, it's a man-made religion, or it's, it's grandma's beliefs. Religion is that thing that I did when I was younger, and it kind of weirded me out, and I went into this church, and they had crazy women running around the thing, doing flags and screaming hallelujah, and it freaked me out. So some of us, that's what we think religion is, or maybe many of us think religion is tradition or it's labels, or it's just this systematic way of knowing Jesus. And then you get the flip side of it. Some people think religion is guidance, right? Some people think religion is something that, hey, I need to do this in order to get to God. At the end of the day, I think for me, growing up in a pastor's home, being around church my entire life, um, I can honestly say that I have grown very tired of religious people and religion. And I'll tell you why. Because a lot of the times, religious people and just religion in general misses the overall point of what Jesus came to do. So let me set this up by saying this, and he covered it a little bit on the video. When I say that I have kind of this quarrel with religion or I can't stand it, I'm not saying that I hate the church. Okay, I'm not saying that I hate God's laws. I'm not saying that I hate his commandments. I'm not saying that I hate any of those things. I absolutely love the church. Jesus loves the church. He loves it so much that he actually said the church is the hope of the world. So at its very core, I guess Christianity is somewhat a religion on paper, right? So we can put it down on paper, but if, when it plays out in reality, Christianity is so much more than religion because it's not just this systematic way of getting to know Jesus. Ultimately, Christianity is about a person, right? Christianity is about Jesus. So I've titled this message, Jesus is Better. Jesus is Better. Now, I want to set it up by saying this. I know many of us have come from all different backgrounds, and we've all had the privilege, most of us growing up in South Louisiana, and if you've grown up in South Louisiana, you have come from probably just all different kinds of backgrounds, whether that was a Catholic background, a Baptist background, a Methodist background, a Presbyterian background, and all kinds of other backgrounds that I probably can't even pronounce. All different kinds, so everybody has all these different beliefs. And what I wanna do this morning is narrow us in and say, to be honest with you, God doesn't really care about denominations. He doesn't care about your opinions. He doesn't care about your preferences. At the end of the day, he wants to know you. At the end of the day, he wants your heart, and he wants you to have a relationship with him. So when I say that I hate religion, I'm saying this. I hate anything that gives us this systematic approach of we have to do this and follow the rules in order to get to know Jesus. And that's what religion is for most of us. I do this, I check off the box, I go to church on Sundays, I paid my dues, I was a good person, and hopefully God will let me in the pearly gates. 
or I've done enough good deeds so when I get to heaven, I can make a good argument, I can make a good case and say, God, well, look at all the good things that I've done. And I want to tell you this morning, the only thing that Jesus is going to care about at the end of your life is this. Did you know me? Did you have a relationship with me? And did you do what I asked you to do? And the truth is, we cannot do what Jesus has called us to do, and we cannot do what Jesus has asked us to do unless we know him, unless we know him. So Christianity is so much more than just a set of beliefs. It's so much more than just this systematic way of getting to know someone. Ultimately, at the end of the day, God the Father sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die on the cross so that we could know him, so that we could have a relationship with him. So here's the deal. I'm saying that I hate any system that upholds this kind of pathway that says you have to do A through Z to get to Jesus. Growing up, I had some pretty interesting experiences. Um, My dad hasn't always been in ministry, but when he was working, he used to work for, anybody know what industrial helicopters was? He used to spray like the power lines and all that kind of stuff. And when he was doing that, he did that for about seven or eight years. He was traveling around um, during the nights at these little churches, speaking at different little churches. And I used to go with him a lot. And I came across some pretty crazy like things, just some weird stuff. How many of you know, if you hang around church long enough, you're going to see some, some weird stuff, okay? Well, if you hang around long enough in some little churches, you're going to see some really weird things. And I remember being a little kid, sitting back in the pew and watching some of these things going, man, if this is what Jesus is like, I'm not sure that I'm in. <laughs> I'm not so sure that I'm sold. Like, if Jesus is all of this then I'm not so sure that I really want a relationship with God. Um, my mind, just the way that it typically works, anybody in here, um, my wife is like this as well, anybody in here, you just tend to analyze and break down everything. Show of hands, you just analyze absolutely everything. And that's how I am. Like, I can't help but when I see something, I begin to deconstruct everything. And I'll tell you this, a lot of the times, the reasons that people are turned off to Jesus is because not because they've been stained by Jesus, they've been stained by religion. Most of the times, when you come in and people, they leave the church and they say, you know what, I've been hurt by the church and I never want anything to do with it. Most of the time, it's because of religion. Jesus has never done anything to hurt us. Ultimately, we go to a church and we have a bad experience and we say, peace out, I'm gone. I never want any part of that again. And my hope is, whatever your hurts are, Whatever your hang-ups are, whatever your disposition is about religion, hopefully that it would not tend towards Jesus. That ultimately, at the end of the day, that Jesus wants to know you, he wants to have a relationship with you, and at the end of the day, it's all about him connecting with you in your heart. So here's the deal. Let's look at what Jesus came to do rather than what religion actually is. Because what I find in religion is people elevate their opinions over scripture. They say, hey, this is how we've always done it, and this is why we do it. And then you can ask them the question, well, why do you do it? I don't know. It's just the way we've always done it. It makes sense. They end up taking tradition and the things that they've done for 50, 100 years and say, this is how we do it, and this is how we're always going to do it. And I want us today to look at scripture and say, look, let's look at what Jesus actually came to do, and then let's base our belief off of that rather than our opinions. So here's what I want to challenge you to do this morning. Maybe you grew up believing one thing. I learned probably about when I was about 25 years old, just because I grew up believing something didn't mean that it was right. So some of you have grown up in some things, and I want to tell you this, like God wants to come in today and deconstruct some worldviews, deconstruct some things. Just because you grew up believing something, just because you hold on to something right now, does not make it right. When I was about 25 years old, I started actually reading the Bible for myself, rather than just basing what I believed off of my parents, and it totally changed my view of Jesus, like completely my wife and I went to, through this together. It was just like, you know what? We need to start reading the Bible for ourselves. We need to know Jesus for ourselves because all we know about Jesus is everything that I've been taught my entire life. I don't really know who he is. And I start diving into the word for myself and it changes everything for me. It's like I, all of a sudden I see things through a completely different lens. And that's my hope for us this morning. So main point of this morning is this. 
rules-based religion will leave you empty and and unsatisfied. It's going to leave you empty, unfulfilled, and unsatisfied. And listen, if you came in here this morning looking for something, maybe whatever you're going through through life right now, maybe you're in a, a bad relationship, maybe you're lonely, maybe you're dealing with children, maybe you're dealing with a divorce, maybe you're dealing with a husband, maybe you're dealing with family issues, job issues, work issues. I want to tell you this. There is no systematic approach to Jesus that is going to fix any of that. There's no rules-based religion. Well, if you just do this, then you'll get happiness. If you just do this, then you can get joy. If you just do this, if you just fall in line and follow the rules, then you'll get what Jesus came to give you. At the end of the day, if you're married in here, you know this. Your wife doesn't want you to just go through this routine thing. You leave the house. I love you, babe. You come home at 12 o'clock, you call her. Hey, how was your day? And then at 5 o'clock, you get home and, hey, I love you. And then you repeat all over again. She wants you to spice it up a little bit, right? She wants you to change it up. Women don't like routine. And a lot of the things that I've learned within my relationship with Jesus, he doesn't want me to just have this systematic approach to him. He wants me to really know him, really go after, man, I want to have a relationship with Jesus. So first of all, if you have a Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. If you don't, it's going to be on the screens and you can follow along with us. But let's look at what Jesus actually came to do, okay? And this is actually Jesus' words here. It says this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota. If you're from iota, you made it in the Bible, all right? Not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Verse 19, this is very important. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So let's back up a little bit. What is Jesus talking about here? Because if you don't understand the context of this passage, you're going to be totally lost and confused. If you back up to verse 19 and you look at it, here's what God's saying. He says, therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments, he's saying this. If you take your opinions and your approach at Christianity and you elevate it over other commands just because it fits your agenda, just because it feels nice to you, you're missing the point. You're completely missing the point. He says you don't get the privilege of taking one thing and elevating it over the same. So so let me give you a for instance. Here's what we're really good at in churches and actually turning people away from churches. So you walk in these doors, and um, I literally encountered this one time. It was was not at one of our churches. My dad was speaking somewhere, and they have a lady coming in from the parking lot, and... um, she, she, I think she was rather new to the congregation, and she walks up to the church, and one of the, the pastors or leaders greets her at the door, and she's wearing blue jeans, and, and, he, and he says to her, hey, ma'am, we wear our best for God. Um, you need to go change. She got back in her car, left, and never came back. So what ends up happening within religion is we elevate our preferences over the word of God. Man, I don't like you wearing blue jeans in church, or I don't like this, or I don't, I mean, she doesn't have enough clothes on. Well, it's a step up. At least she has clothes on when she comes to church, right? We end up taking all these things, and we construct this opinion, and we end up pushing people away from Jesus because we elevate our opinion over the word of God. You know, one of the the lines in the video that I love is he says, man, if Jesus came into your church, would he be welcome here? Because if you read the New Testament, you see Jesus, man, if you were to put it in modern day context, Jesus is like riding in the Escalade, bumping music, and people are going, is that Jesus? Like, what's going on? Right? He's hanging out with prostitutes, tax collectors, people that you wouldn't think. And he's also hanging out with the religious people. Would Jesus be welcome in our churches today? Or do we elevate our opinions and our view and our worldview so highly that we hold it just as high as Scripture that we end up turning people away from Jesus? And that's exactly what is happening in this text. It's exactly what Jesus is going after. 
you skip down to verse 20, he even says this. He goes as far as saying this. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Here's what he's saying. I gave you the law to show you that you couldn't do it. In the Old Testament, the first five books of the Bible, this was the law. Okay, there's 613 laws. And the Pharisees are saying, in order to be in right contact with Jesus, we have to follow all 613. And later on, you're going to find, not only did they want to follow all 613, they wanted to add some more. (laughs) They didn't think it was enough. As if 613 rules weren't enough, let's go ahead and add some more. And here's what Jesus says. I gave you the law as a mirror for you to look at it and realize that there is nothing outside of a Savior that you can do to follow all these rules. Nothing. I gave you the law. I gave you the rules to show you that no matter how hard you try, no matter how hard you work, unless you have a Savior, which is Jesus, you're going to fall flat on your face many times. It's why the best-selling books at Barnes & Noble or Books a Million is self-help books. Unfortunately, they're surpassing the classics, like the good books, the ones that you should actually read, right? And and we we buy them up like crazy, like five-minute abs. Like, oh, check that out. I'll take that five-minute abs. It doesn't work, (laughs) right? Take this pill, and in 30 minutes, you'll be skinner, like slimmer. Like, it doesn't work. You'll be slimmer, and you'll probably be dead. Like, that's just probably what's going to happen. But these self-help books, what? We lap them up like crazy. And we follow this systematic approach to get to this thing, and we tire ourselves out by these efforts because it's just this willpower of us trucking forward, of saying, I've got to be better. I've got to do more. I've got to try harder. And Jesus gives us the law to say, look, you can try as hard as you want, but unless you have me, you're going to break it every single time. You're going to fall flat on your face every single time. The law is a mirror to point us to a Jesus that says, you know what, you can try as hard as you want. But the reason that I sent Jesus on the cross is a declaration saying that, you know what, you need saving. You need saving. Religion adds more rules. Jesus says, I've already established the rules and you can't add to them. So when Jesus came, it says he didn't come to abolish the law, he came to fulfill the law. That word fulfill means he came to complete it, like putting it to end, right? So meaning this, the new standard now, like the greatest law that we have is not the 613 laws in the Old Testament, it's not all these rules, it's not all these regulations. The new standard is love. It's grace. That's the new, listen, let me put it to you this way. I could motivate myself not to cheat on my wife by the law. Saying, you know what, if I cheat on my wife, then you know what, I'm going to lose my job as a pastor. If I, if I cheat on my wife, then you know what, I'm going to go to hell. God's just going to send me straight to hell. I could motivate myself by the law. I can motivate myself by the rules. But to be quite honest, it's not that motivating. Or I can motivate myself by love. Well, man, I don't want to cheat on my wife because she's the best thing that's ever happened to me. I don't want to cheat on my wife because for the past, what, almost 16 years, we've carved out a life together, and we have five kids, and I don't want to ruin their futures, and we have a future together. So I can motivate myself out of the law, or I can motivate myself out of love. Which one is more motivating? Rules of like, I'm so scared, I don't want to do this. Or you know what, I love this person so much that I don't want to put myself in this predicament. I don't want to put myself in this situation. And so it is with God and us. We follow Christ because we love him, not out of fearful obedience. We follow Christ because he first loved us. 1 John 4.19 says we love because he first loved us. Here's the deal. No one learns to love by trying harder and doing more. You learn to love because somebody first loved you. It's probably the way that you fell in love with your spouse. Like when you started realizing, okay, I think I love this person, and then all of a sudden you realize that that love is mutual, man, I think they love me as well, you fall even more in love with them, right? Because then you begin to understand like what I have is not just something that I'm feeling, but they're feeling it as well. 
And so we can motivate ourselves by rules. We can motivate ourselves by religion. But at the end of the day, God wants us to be motivated by love. We motivate ourselves by, man, God sent his one and only son for you and for me, even when I didn't deserve it. Like, God sent his one and only son even when you were still a mess. And I love that verse that says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Yet while we were still a mess and a wreck, God sent his one and only son. Religion says, look, before God can ever love you, you need to clean yourself up on your own right now. You need to do this, you need to do that, you need to do this, you need to do that, and then you'll be lovable. Religion says God loves some future version of you, the you five years from now, the cleaner version of you. God says, no, I love you right now. Mess and all, I don't care. However a wreck your life is, I want you right now. So my hope for us today is that you would be introduced to a Jesus that scandalously gives you a grace that you should not have that loves you so much regardless of what you've done. And here's the deal. Before I dive any further into this, I want you to know this. Whatever season you're walking through right now, whatever you've walked through in your life, wherever you're at, this is what Jesus says to you. I don't care where you're at. Like, if you are willing to come to me right now, I'll accept you. I'll love you. I'll pursue you. As a matter of fact, even if you're running from him right now, he's still chasing you. He's still pursuing you. He's still leaning in, wanting to love you. But you know what religion says? Oh, you know what? You had a beer last night? Don't, don't dare walk in church. Oh, oh you did this? Oh, don't, don't dare get around those people. Oh, you want to you, you wanna know Jesus, but you need, to, you need to clean yourself up first. To which I always ask the question, how's that working for you? How's that working for you? How's cleaning yourself up doing? Because the truth is you can't do it on your own. Have you ever had things in your life like you have tried so hard to break? It's like that cycle. You feel like, man, I feel like I'm on like this Ferris wheel that just keeps going (laughs) on and on and on and on. And what religion tells you is just keep pushing, keep going, keep trying. Here's what Jesus says. Listen, I've already done it. Just accept me, follow me, trust me, lean into me. I'll show you the way. So what I want to do this morning is we kind of set all that up as I want to talk about what religion is and I want to talk about who Jesus is. So point number one. Number one, religion makes God the boss and you the employee. Jesus makes God the father and you the son. Big difference. So let me say that again. Religion makes God the boss and you the employee. Jesus makes God the father and you the son. So here's the deal. Religion is like a contract. And contracts have conditions, right? How many of you guys have ever bought a home and they, they give you like this paperwork, this thick? Anybody know what I'm talking about? You buy a home and you have all these contracts that you have to fill. And you lit- I've bought a home twice and every time I'm signing that paper, I'm like, I'm signing my life. I know somewhere there's a clause in here. Like if I don't pay my rent, they can come and like stab me or something. You know, something is in here. You feel like you're signing your life away. Now, when you, you, when you buy a home, the contract states in the mortgage contract, it says this. If you fail to make your payments, we will take your house from you. Right? If you fail to make your payments, we will take your house from you. That's exactly what religion is. If you don't follow all the rules, if you don't align yourself with the contract, then we kick you out of the family. Get out. Hey, you weren't worthy enough. Religion is like a contract. But Jesus says this, God is your father and you are his son or daughter. And as a parent of five children, I don't place my kids underneath a contract. Like, I don't wake up and say, I don't look at all my kids and say, hey, y'all remember the terms? Y'all remember the conditions? Like, if y'all break them, y'all, like, my kids would have been kicked out a long time ago, right? If I would have looked at my three-year-old daughter and said, listen, babe, we have an emotional contract. If there's any crying, you're out of here. I mean, I would have kicked Claire out a long time ago if that was the case. (laughs) I'm kidding. 
but there's no contracts, right, with my children. And for those of you that have kids, you'll understand this. You don't hold them to this contract that says, look, when you break the rules, you're out of the house. I'll be honest with you. I have five kids, and as long as I have breath in my lungs, they're always welcome at my house. I don't care how far off the deep end they go, and if it pains my heart, and one day they walk away from Jesus, and they're like, peace, Dad, I want nothing to do with this Jesus thing. They're still my son, and they're still my daughter, and they're still welcome in my home. Regardless of what they do, as a parent, any, any parents know what I'm talking about? Like when somebody else accuses of your child of something, even if your child is in the wrong, you will find some kind of way to make that other parent in the wrong. <laughs> You're like, no, 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 I will defend my child to the bitter end. He is golden, you know what I mean? And this is what God does for us. Man, when we fail, he says, you know what? You know, you're my son, you're my daughter. I don't kick you out of the house whenever you blow it. This is why the story in the scriptures of the prodigal son is so important. So let's change it up a little bit. because Most of us know the story of the prodigal son, right? What if instead of Jesus telling the story of the prodigal son, the religious people were to tell the story of the prodigal son? What would it look like? I think it would go something like this. Okay, so a son comes to his father and says, Dad, you know what? I'm done. I don't want to live in this house anymore. You promised me inheritance when I turn 18. I want the inheritance. The father gives him the inheritance. The son takes off, and he heads to Vegas. He gets to Vegas, he starts to blow all of his money, he starts to sleep around, he's having a good time, and for a few years, man, he is enjoying it. Because if anybody ever tells you that sin is not fun, they're not doing it right, okay? Because it can be for a season. And so here's the thing, he goes to Vegas and he's blowing all the money, and all of a sudden, he goes to the ATM one day to pull out some cash, and it says nothing in it. Anybody know what I'm talking? You're like, you put it in and you thought you had some money in it. You're like, oh, snap, I got nothing. <laughs> Negative balance. So he's like, man, what am I going to do tonight? I don't have any money for food. I don't have any money for a hotel. Like, what am I going to do? So he hires himself out. Maybe he starts working within the casinos. And then he, this thought dawns on him. Man, my father's servants are eating better than I am. I need to go back home. So he goes back home, and as he goes back home, remember, this is the religious people telling the story. The father sees him, and he says, son, where have you been? It's been a long time. You spent all my money, right? Listen, if you want back in this house, you're going to have to pay me back three times what you just spent. Three times what you just spent. And as a matter of fact, if you want to get back into this house, you're going to have to prove it to me because I don't trust you yet. You're going to have to earn it. And and look at your brother. He stayed with me all these years when you couldn't. Start playing the comparison game. Look how good he was. He didn't blow my money. He worked hard. He did all these things. But you, if you want back in this home, you better earn it. Because I don't trust you. But that's not the story of the prodigal son, is it? The story of the prodigal son is after he gets back from living this promiscuous lifestyle, it says, while he was a long way off, his father sees him and he signals everybody and he says, hey, that's my son. He's coming home. Get the robe, get the sandals, get the ring, put it back on him. And as a matter of fact, he's home and I'm not going to mention anything about his past. That's what I love about this parable. Jesus doesn't even, in the parable, the father never says, what have you been doing? Where have you been? It's, It's literally like this, you came home from living this lifestyle, welcome home, at least you're back. Put the robe on him, put the sandals on him, put the ring on him. As a matter of fact, he's back, let's throw a party. Let's throw a party. So here's what I would say to you today, and here's what Jesus would say to you today. However far off you've gone, if you come home, God throws a party that you're coming back. And that's the kind of God that I want to serve. Not somebody that says, oh, you blew it, you did all this, you got to earn my love back. No. This is what religion teaches us, right? It places us under this condemnation. You've got to follow all the rules. You've got to be a good son. (laughs) If that was for me in my life, I would have been screwed a long time ago. But the truth is, every time that I've fallen off and I come back, Jesus says, look, he's home, he's back. 
And see, that's a much bigger motivating factor. Man, God loves me so much. And it motivates me to stay. It motivates me to stay. So number one was religion makes God the boss and you the employee. Just follow what I do. Just stay in line. Don't get outside of the lines. But Jesus says, you're a son, you're a daughter, and I want a relationship with you. Number two, religion grades righteousness on a curve, and Jesus grades righteousness on a cross. So let me put it to you this way. Um, I'm horrible at math. Like ter- I'm actually pretty good because iPhone has a calculator on, math, <laughs> on the phones now, but I, am, I like suck at math. And um, high school year, I took a geometry class, and I, like every time I entered into math class, I was like, I'm doomed. Like, there is no hope for me. Like, I know I am doomed. Get me in English, get me in history, and I was great in that. As soon as I got to math, my wife actually took the geometry class with me, and I tried to sit as close to her as I possibly could. You'll get that later. Um, But in the geometry class, my teacher graded with a curve. She graded with a curve. And I actually passed the class with a B. Not because I was smart, because she graded with a curve. So I don't know if you know how a curve actually works, but here's the beauty of a curve. You don't actually have to know the material. You just hope that everybody else, when they take the test, doesn't do that good. And the scores get averaged out. Right? And you just pray to God somebody doesn't make an A. Like, please don't let them make a 99 or a 100, or we're all doomed. Like, hopefully everybody stays in the D's, C's, and then we can all get rounded up to maybe a B or an A. And this is exactly what religion does. You don't have to know enough. You just hope that nobody makes a high grade. So religion says the standard is the people closest to you. See, religion grades your goodness and your righteousness on a curve, meaning this. Your comparison is the people around you. I'm not that bad, because my neighbor, you saw him, that dude's jacked up. Or the, the person that I work with, my life isn't that bad because their life is really bad. And so you begin to grade your goodness and your righteousness based on a curve, based on the people around you. And you say, you know what, I don't really need to change anything. I don't need to really live my life different because I have all these people that I compare myself around and their life is a whole lot worse off than mine. At least I'm doing better. At least I'm doing better. Religion hopes some people secretly fail so you can feel better about yourself. Like you actually rejoice when people blow it so you're like, okay, I'm not that bad. (laughs) Jesus grades righteousness on a cross, not on a curve, meaning this. Everyone looks strikingly similar. (laughs) There are no comparisons. Everyone's a sinner. Everyone falls short. Everyone blows it. Everyone makes mistakes. There are no comparisons. Meaning this, you don't do sinful acts to make you a sinner. You're a sinner, therefore you do sinful things. Completely different. Completely different. With God, there is no curve. There's only a cross saying, hey, listen, I'm not playing the comparison game. I put everybody on an even playing field, and everybody falls short of the glory of God. Therefore, we all need a Savior. We all need Jesus. We all need help. Listen, I'll be honest with you. I know sometimes just because of the, the, the seat and the position that I stand in, some people think just, oh, pastor, you must be holier. You must have this, like, tap into God that other people don't. And you must not deal. Like, I argue with my wife. I blow it with my kids. I get angry. There are things that I come across in the Bible that I'm like, God, why is this in there? I'm confused. I don't get it. Because what God does is he puts everybody on an even playing field saying, listen, I don't care where you're at. Everybody needs a Savior. Everybody needs Jesus. Number three, this is probably going to be the biggest one. Religion is outside in, Jesus is inside out. 
Religion is outside in, Jesus is inside out. Meaning this, religion says just clean yourself up on the outside because you've got appearances to, clean, to keep up. You're going to see people this week, you need to show up at this, you need to do that, you need to say this, you don't need to post this because they're going to think you're this. Religion, Jesus says, look, I don't, I don't care what's going on in the outside. I'm more concerned about the heart. Religion says, let me behave well enough so God will give me what I want. That's religion. Let me behave, let me be on my best behavior, let me stay within the lines so God will approve of me, so God will be happy with me. There's actually a passage in Scripture that we're about to read, and it's found in Mark chapter 7. And let me set it up for you a little bit. I think it's actually very funny what we're about to read. But in Mark chapter 7... Jesus and a few of his disciples are invited to this, these religious people's house, the Pharisees' house. They're like the pastors and the priests of the day, okay? They knew everything about the Bible. They knew all 613 laws, and they were probably even inventing some more. They knew everything they needed to know about the Bible, and they invite Jesus and some of his disciples to come have lunch with them. And so this is where we pick it up. It says, one day, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. They noticed that some of his disciples, watch this, failed to follow the Jewish ritual of hand-washing before eating. So all of you Purell fans, Jesus didn't wash his hands, okay? He's about to dig into some food and eat. Number three, The Jews, especially the Pharisees, do not eat until they have poured water over their cupped hands as required by their ancient traditions. Similarly, they don't eat anything from the market until they immerse their hands in water. This is one but of many traditions they have clung to, such as their ceremony, washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of religious law asked him, Why don't your disciples follow our age-old tradition? They eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony. Jesus replied, you hypocrites. Now, I, I know you see this Bible, this, this word scattered throughout the Bible. This was not a light term that he threw around. Back nowadays, you can call anybody a hypocrite, right? You can just, you can just throw it out there. We got social media. You can call any, like to be deemed a hypocrite a few thousand years ago, like you had to stand before a trial and they would prove it. So this is no light word. He says, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. For he wrote, now watch this. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. For you ignore God's law and substitute your own tradition. You ignore God's law and substitute your own opinions. And you elevate it over scripture. So here's the deal. Here's what's going on. They're sitting down at this table. They have this spread of food. And people are walking in and they have this tradition to wash their hands and make sure that it's all done right. And Jesus and disciples, they just sit down at the table and they start grabbing food. And their eyes get this big. Oh my... He didn't, they didn't wash their hands, they didn't sanitize, they didn't do any of these things. And they start freaking out. And here's what happens. The Pharisees get so concerned about Jesus and his disciples not washing his hands, they actually miss out on Jesus. They, miss Je- they actually miss spending time in being in relationship with Jesus because they're so concerned about washing their hands. And this is what religion does. Religion is so good at getting your eyes off of what really matters. And so we start focusing on things stupid as blue jeans and tattoos and other just crazy stuff. I cannot tell you some of the conversations that I've had, and it literally... it. It's to the point it infuriates me sometimes. Like the, the excuses that people have of not coming in the church are actual legitimate things. I mean, I was told because I have tattoos that I'm not welcome here. I was told that I have this and I can't. What? Like it breaks my heart that some of you guys have experienced those things. 
Because you know what that is? It's just religion. It's just the hand-washing cycle. People pointing out something that doesn't even matter. People elevating their opinions and what they view, what Christianity should be. It's when we started this church 20 months ago, we said, look, this is a church that anybody can come to. And hopefully, if Jesus were to walk in here one day, that he would feel comfortable sitting down in these seats. And then he'd kind of look out and he'd see this ragtag crew of, man, it's a pretty interesting collective of people. (laughs) That's the point, though, isn't it? It's the point. And some of us get caught up in things, honestly, that don't matter. Listen, I, I... I think it's important. I love theology. I love having the right doctrines. I love having all those things. But at the end of the day, that's not what Jesus came to do. At the end of the day, he wants to know you. And some of us are so focused on little things like washing our hands right that we miss out on Jesus. Well, I mean, I can't go to that church because, man, they don't take communion five times on a Sunday. And at my other church, we did it this way, or we did this. And people miss out the point. They actually miss being with Jesus because they're concerned about things that honestly you can't find in the Bible. Here's the deal. If your religion makes you holier than God, it's wrong. (laughs) It's wrong. Religion is so good at making us miss the point. And Jesus could care less about your good deeds. He wants your heart. As a matter of fact, in Isaiah 64, 6, he says this. We are all infected and impure with sin. Show of hands. We just got out of a series called Struggles. How many of you guys struggle with something? (laughs) We're all infected and pure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. I'm not trying to be grotesque in here. This is what Jesus is saying. It's dirtier than a tampon. That's what he's saying. It's in the Bible. I'm just saying it. I'm repeating it, okay? That's what he's saying. When you put your good display and your good deeds and say, God, look what I've done. He says, I don't care about that. I don't care how good you are. It says, like autumn leaves, We wither and fall, and our sins sweep us away like the wind. And your goodness, you at your best, will never be adequate enough. It's why we need a Savior that comes in that says this. You need me, and when you accept me, and when you put your trust and your hope in me, I clothe you in my righteousness, my goodness, Scripture teaches us that when we become a new creation and we accept God, that he clothes us in his righteousness, in his goodness, not our own. And this is what religion says. Clothe yourself in moral good deeds, and God will consider it enough. But then we read Scripture that says, God says, I'm not even concerned about that. Your good deeds are like filthy rags. Your moral goodness, your moral behavior, it doesn't mean anything to me. I want your heart. I want to know you. Skipping down, reading in Mark seven fourteen, it says, Then Jesus called to the crowd to come and hear. So after the Pharisees are complaining about the hand washing, this is what Jesus says. Guys, come in. <laughs> Huddle up. Let me teach you something here. And then he says this. All of you listen, he said. (laughs) And he goes, try to understand. He's being sarcastic now. Listen and just try to understand what I'm saying. Your mom ever tell you that? Just can you just listen for a second and try to understand what I'm saying? This is what he's saying. It's not what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled by what comes out of your heart. Difference. He's saying, listen. It doesn't matter if I wash my hands. It's not what saves me. At the end of the day, when I stand before Jesus one day, I'm going to be judged by my, even my intentions, my motivations, my thoughts, and that's what God's after. Listen, if you uphold this religious belief that says, I do all these things, I do this, and I get God, 
You're missing the point. Jesus says, I want to know you to the point where I get into your heart, and not only do you say that you believe something, but it actually begins to change the way you live. Like your actions. I find a lot of times as Christians, we major on the minors and we minor on the majors. Meaning this, so we can sit down and have this argument all day over whether somebody should have a tattoo or not. And right next door to us is a single mom who can't pay their bills and we do nothing about it. Nothing. See, real Christianity is getting into the deeper heart work of things. What religion says, you just continue to focus on the surface things, your opinions and what you disagree about in the world. I don't know if you know this or not, but Facebook is really good about giving everybody a voice because apparently now everybody has an opinion about everything. Right? And Jesus says, look, I, I, don't, I really don't care about any of that stuff. I care about you and your heart and your attentions and your motivations and your actions. And I also care about your neighbor. And I want you to do something about that. So you're, you're defiled by what comes from your heart. Listen, I've shared this before, but every time, and men, maybe you can re- relate with me in here, every time I sit down at some kind of action film, there is something that like comes over me for just a few seconds, okay? I'll be honest with you. I drive a minivan, okay? There's nothing cool about it. <laughs> nothing. And my wife and I, she hates going to see movies with me, especially action films, because I feel like after I have just experienced like this Captain America, Civil War, action film, I'm like, I got that. <laughs> I got that. And I get in my minivan and I'm like, <laughs> like driving this thing like a maniac. Because for a split second, I feel superhuman. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about in here. You buy a Saints jersey and all of a sudden you feel like you're Drew Brees. I got the name and you're like, backyard football, tomorrow. (laughs) I will outthrow everyone in here. And you feel like just because you put the jersey on or just because you watched the movie that all of a sudden you can do the same thing. And here's the truth. Just because you ascribe to a certain religious belief does not mean you know Jesus. It doesn't mean it. Just because you say you believe one thing does not mean that you really know God. In Matthew chapter 6, bringing this to a close, Jesus kind of tells this story and wraps it all up with this. They have these people at the end It's all coming down, and they're standing before Jesus, and they get to the pearly gates, and they say, God, we've done all these things, and we healed the sick in your name, we cast out demons in your name, we fed the poor in your name, we did all these things. And Jesus says, yeah, you did all those things, but you failed to do one thing. You never knew me. You, ne- you never knew me. You never knew me. And so here's the thing. God wants you to know him. He wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to know you like you know your husband, like you know your wife, like you know your children, and he wants to know you even more intimate than that. So real Christianity centers on Jesus' righteousness, his goodness, and what he has done and how good he is. That's what it centers on. So religion says do, Jesus says done. Religion says keep performing, keep following the rules, stay in line, do this, do that, and then God will approve of you. Going back to point one, God says, no, you're my son, you're my daughter. You can fall, you can screw it up, but I still approve of you. 
Religion is man searching for God. Jesus is God searching for man. Say, man, I'm seeking you out. So I love the story of Jonah. When God calls him to go to Nineveh, he says, go talk to these people. And Jonah says, no, God, I can't. God chases him down. He says, you can run, buddy, but I'm coming for you. And listen, that's what some of us are doing right now. We're running as fast as we can. And some of you are like completely out of breath right now from your running. And listen, there is no satisfaction, there's going to be no joy that you're going to find in your running. You need to know Jesus. You need to know Jesus. So I close with this. Religious people kill for what they believe, but Jesus' followers die for what they believe. At the end of the day, are we willing to believe something so deeply that it changes the way that we live? It changes the way that we see things. It changes the way that we interact with people. It changes the way that we speak. It changes everything. And if it's not, can I just be real frank with you for a moment? If it's not changing things in your life, you're ascribing to religion, and it's not Jesus. It's a systematic approach that says you do this and you get that. And at the end of the day, there's nothing more tiring than that. It's exhausting. So my hope for us today and I'm going to literally, there was, there was way too much to cover in one Sunday. And we're going to continue this for another two weeks. But my hope for us throughout this whole series is this. That whatever you grew up believing, whatever you think is your pathway to Jesus, that it would literally be like this clean slate that says, God, you know what? I want to push away everything that I know. I want to start at square one, which is knowing you, and where do I go from here? Where do I go from here? I want to have a relationship with you. I want to know you. I want to know your purposes. I want to know your intentions. I want to know why you came to earth. I want to know why you sent Jesus, your one and only son, to die for somebody like me. Why would you do that? For the next few weeks that we would be on this journey to say, I want to know that God. I want to know that Jesus. The one that says, even when you run, I still want you. I'm not saying that he approves of the sinful things that we're doing, but he still wants you. He still wants to chase after you. He still wants to love you. He still wants to accept you. Jesus is better than religion. 